This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. God's Word nourishes our soul. God's Word is His breathed-out truth to us. And as we read and study and apply it, it feeds our soul. It's a feast. And uh, like with physical food, um, all meals aren't the same, are they? I mean, there's a typical meal. A typical meal in our culture might include something at the beginning, um, you know, maybe something like a soup or salad. And then it might have a main course that might have a meat and some vegetables Uh, maybe some bread, something like that, and then it might have a final course of a dessert. That's a typical meal, perhaps. If you were to go out and get a meal, that might be something typical. Um, And most passages of Scripture, and therefore most of the sermons I preach, are are kind of typical. They have a, a really similar kind of flow. This passage is very different, though. This passage would be, um, unlike going and getting a uh, a salad, a soup, uh, a main course, and a dessert, this is like when you go and you look and you get the sampler appetizer plate, and it's really big, and that's your whole meal. Have you ever done that before? It's a strange experience because there's all these disparate things on the plate. There's There's an egg roll, and then there's that spinach dip stuff that they always have, and then there's a couple of wings, and maybe some nachos or ta- you probably taquitos, something like that. So they take all the appetizers, they put them on it, and you look at it and go, man, this, this meal really has no, um, in, 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 no overall theme. I mean, we're eating from China, Mexico, uh, the South. You know, we're eating all over the place here. It's just a mixture. And any one of these could have stood on their own. We could have just got a plate of wings and had that for our dinner. Uh, We could have just got a plate of taquitos and had that for our dinner. But we're going to mix them all up. That's what this passage is like. Because this is a passage that is a bunch of proverbs that are stuck together. And each of these proverbs really could have their own sermon. But we're going to cover, there's a couple of reflections in the chapter, but it's almost all Proverbs. So we're going to cover 20 verses today, the whole chapter 10. And uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be different because, like I said, each of these are uh, an egg roll or a wing or whatever. So the question is, how does this all fit together into one theme? And uh, when you read it, you may say, I don't really see. I think there is an overall theme. Um, And uh, so we'll look at that. But first of all, let's read the chapter and... um, Taste the sample of appetizers that God has provided to nourish our soul and change our lives. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what he is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning." Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. 
Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and that you feed us in different ways. And we ask as we approach you and we study this string of Proverbs that you would speak to us. I pray that you would show us ultimately the wise one, Jesus Christ, and that you would um, open our eyes and our ears to hear from you, that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Spirit of God, work in us today. Open your word. We are listening. Your God-breathed word, breathe upon us through this text and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you see what I mean? It just seems like a whole lot of different stuff put on the same plate, right? But I think there is a theme to the passage, and it's a theme that I've never taught on. And more than that, it's a theme I have never heard a sermon on in my entire life. I think the theme of this passage, I've never heard taught on. I'm not introducing a new doctrine or anything like that today, but it's a theme I've never heard taught on. And so let's go from the beginning, a little bit of Ecclesiastes, a little background, and then we'll come down and see what what the theme is. Since the beginning of the book, uh, Ecclesiastes has been writing really what amounts to a warning. The the whole book serves as a warning. It it serves as a warning to consider how are we living, and it's a relevant warning for those of us living in Frisco, Texas here today. What he does is he starts the book out with some autobiography, and this is what he says. I'm a king. I'm powerful. I've got more houses than you can dream of. I've got gardens. I've got wine. I've got the arts. um, I've got women. I've got... um, Music, I've got everything, and on top of that, I'm wiser than anybody. So I'm smartest guy in the room, I've got more stuff than anybody in the room, and here is the sum total of all of that. Uh, it's meaningless. It's like a vapor. It's like I can't grip onto it. It's empty. It, 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 it's, it lacks substance. It's fleeting. And so what he is giving this warning from his own life is he's saying, listen, life under the sun apart from God is empty. Even if you can get everything the world has to offer, you'll be empty. And so he's, he's making the point that we need to look above the sun, so to speak. We need to look to God because without God, life is meaningless. And what's more, you will not enjoy life without God. But with God, here's how different it is. You can have everything and have a meaningless life. But with God, if you know God, then simple things like a meal are full of joy. If you know God, a glass of wine can bring you full joy. If you know God, your marriage can bring great joy to you. And here's, here's the kicker. If you know God, your daily work, which he calls toil can be infused with meaning that you can actually enjoy the work of your life because you see it as a gift from God. So his whole point is he's warning, don't go the way of the world because I've done it and it's an empty road. Trust God. And if you trust God, the smallest things can bring explosions of gratitude to your heart because you know that those gifts are from God and the ability to enjoy them is the gift of God. So though we haven't presented it this way, it's really a book of warning, is it not? He's really saying, don't go this way, but do go this way. And he's also saying this, that a lot of things in life don't make sense. If you just look at them under the sun, it just doesn't add up. So you have to know that there is a good God and he rules over all. He is sovereign. And if you know that God is in charge of all, then you can receive his gifts and you can enjoy your life. And that is wisdom. That is wisdom. So that's kind of been the point of the book. Well, chapter 10, he's going to give another warning. This chapter is an equal warning. This chapter is not a warning about... Don't go after the things of the world because they can't bring you happiness apart from God, but go after God and you'll have joy in everything. It's not that warning. This is a warning about wisdom. And what he's saying in this chapter is that wisdom, though that's the way we should live, wisdom is vulnerable. Because wisdom has an enemy. And the enemy of wisdom, the enemy of wisdom is foolishness or folly. And so we must be careful. In other words, he's saying, do not think that you are bulletproof because any of us are potentially subject to foolishness 
or to folly. And here's what I think the overarching idea of this chapter is, and we'll see it in the chapter starting here in just a second. But I think the overarching idea is that a little folly can damage a lot of wisdom. And that's what I've never taught on or ever heard taught. A little folly can damage a lot of wisdom. So he's saying, build your life around the goodness of God, rejoice in his gifts, know that he is sovereign, live a wise life, but realize this, you, you are vulnerable. Because even if you live wisely, a little folly can do great damage to a wise life. One author summarized the chapter this way, a single seemingly small foolish act can do much damage to an otherwise wise person. A seemingly small, foolish act can do much damage to an otherwise wise person. Most of the verses in this chapter are going to contrast folly and wisdom. So he's going to talk about the two, but he's going to start with this point, that a little folly can damage a lot of wisdom, and then he's going to go through and compare folly and wisdom, but it's all in light of that first idea. And the first idea hits us in chapter, in verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. What's the picture? Well, he's saying there's, there's this ointment. A perfumer has made this ointment, and it's sweet-smelling. It's aromatic, and evidently the lid has been left off the uh, perfume, the scented ointment, and so some flies gather, they start smelling it, and then they dip down into the ointment, and then they're caught, and then they die. So you got a few flies in the ointment, and then what happens is they, uh, their carcasses, the fly carcass begins to decompose, and after the flies are dead and decomposing, they give off an odor, a stench. And what he's saying is the stench of the dead flies can become so overpowering that it overpowers, his word is, it outweighs the very smell of the perfume. And he's saying that's how folly works. You can have a life that is given over to God, trusting God, walking in the ways of God, built on the word of God, and a small thing like a few dead flies. You go, what's a big deal? A few dead flies in the, in the ointment, just scoop them out and, and uh, put on the great smelling uh, cologne there. You don't really have to worry about it. He's saying, no, a few of those flies can bring a stench that's overpowering to the perfume, and a little folly in, a, in the life of a wise person can give an overpowering odor so that when you encounter the person, you're aware of the stink of their foolishness, even though it's small, and not the wisdom of their life and their track record and their, their history. Let's judge them on their body of work. He says, no, not your body of work. A moment can stink up your body of work. That's the warning that he gives in this text. Wilson, we have a book out there by him in his inimitable style, says it this way. A little folly in a wise man is far more visible than a little wisdom in a fool. You hear what he's saying? So a little folly shows up in a wise person, whereas if you put a little wisdom in a fool, you won't even notice it. A little folly in a wise man is far more visible than a little wisdom in a fool. Ketchup on a white shirt is highly visible. Ketchup on a white shirt is highly visible. That's the point of the passage. So it's a warning. It's a wake-up call. It's a a loving caution to our lives that a little bit of folly can outweigh a lot of wisdom. A little ketchup on a white shirt shows up and draws the attention of all of us who encounter said person with ketchup on the white shirt. Okay, so that's the idea. And then what he's going to do is he's going to go through and he's going to compare wisdom and folly. Uh, That's the first thing he does, wisdom versus folly in the next couple verses. Now, um, in the wisdom literature of the Bible, especially Proverbs, there's a lot of talk of wisdom and folly. There's a lot of talk about the fool. And the fool is a character in wisdom literature. The fool's in this chapter a lot. Um, and we need to understand what, when, when the Bible talks about a fool, what it's talking about. It's not talking about a person that lacks intelligence. A lot of fools get high SAT scores. So you don't measure whether someone's foolish based on their IQ. Rather, the fool is the person who lacks a healthy fear of God. 
The fool is the person who does not fear God, who acts as if God doesn't exist. That's what uh, the book of Psalms says. In Psalm 14, 1, it says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. So the fool is the person who lives as if God doesn't exist, as if there's no accountability, as if there's no coming judgment, which Ecclesiastes has talked about, as if everything won't be sorted out in the end, as if I can do whatever I want and there's no problem, as if there is no God. That's the fool. So a Christian can't really be, um, can't really be an ultimate fool. A Christian is someone who does believe in God. A Christian is someone who has trusted Christ alone as their Savior. So a Christian can't be the definitive fool, but a Christian can act foolishly. A Christian can certainly exhibit folly. In other words, there are times when we can say and do things that act as if God doesn't exist. We we can post things, say things, do things as if there is no God. And that is folly, is what he is saying. We can disregard the holiness of God. There are times where we can just disregard his existence. We can act like he doesn't exist. And so I can say this. I can click the mouse and go there. I can do this when no one's looking. I can act in a foolish way. We all can do that as Christians. So he begins to contrast the two in verse 2. Verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. It's not a political statement. It's an election year, and certainly some uh, conservative is going to yank that out of context and use that for their own means and that indeed will be shameful. He's not making a political statement here. He's going to talk about politics later, but that's not politics. In the Bible, uh, apologies to all left-handers in the room. I write left-handed, do most things right-handed, so I, I, I'm, uh, you know, kind of fit both of these. I'm a little wise and a little foolish. But, uh, but he's, in the Bible, the right is the good side. And so the, to sit at the right hand is to sit at power. Uh, Jesus takes the sheep and puts them on his right and puts the goats on his left. Um, So in the Bible, right is good. Left usually represents some kind of stupidity, rebellion, sin, something like that. So he's saying the wise person is inclined to the right. So they're aiming to go over here. The, the, the fool goes to the left. Now, the thing about the wise person, the fool, it's not just that they, the fool has a bad sense of direction. The fool is compelled to the left by his heart. So a wise man's heart leads him the right way. A fool's heart leads him into danger. So it, it's an issue of our hearts. What, is, what motivates us? That's the heart. And he's saying a, a, you can have a life of wisdom, but if the heart is motivated towards folly to the left, a little bit of folly can hinder a, a lot of wisdom. So looking to the right, it's the pathway, our heart leads us down a pathway. So the, heart way, the pathway to the right is a pathway of wisdom, which trusts God. Devoted to God, loves God, leans upon God, fears God, believes that God exists, exists. The heart that's inclined to the left is a heart that is motivated by independence, by pride, by arrogance, by the idea that God is not really there and in control. It's motivated by the idea that throughout this book is revealed that looks for joy outside of God that looks for joy solely in God's creation rather than looks for joy in God and thanks God for the gifts and enjoys the gifts of creation because we know who they're from. So the fool is the one whose heart is inclined to just pleasure apart from God. The wise person's heart is also inclined to pleasure, but it's inclined to pleasure that is in God. That's the two directions that we see throughout the book. Verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. So his, his heart's leaning to the left, he's walking to the left, and he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. What, what does that mean? But he's basically saying the wise person can see a fool coming a mile off. The fool is obvious. The, fool, the only one who doesn't know a fool is a fool is the fool. And other fools who think the fool is cool. Uh, so um, that wasn't in my notes. That was just a... Prophetic rhyme just happened. Uh, no, it's not prophetic, but um, so uh, the, 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 nobody knows. So everybody else can see the fool coming, but the fool can't acknowledge that. 
You can see that I'm not, I, I, oh, illustrations. I just didn't want to start naming all kinds of names in this. I wouldn't have named anybody in the room, but people in the culture, I just didn't want to do that. But I have to say that wisdom and foolishness has been on display with attitudes and comments of those who have won medals in the Olympics, no names. But there has been a display where everybody can see the arrogant person and go, that is offensive. That's the stench of dead flies, except that person. Except that person and others have been gracious and humble and and some even given glory to God in their victory. And you see the sweet smelling wisdom that's in that. So the fool announces he's a fool with gold medal around his neck. He announces his foolishness and what he says about how deserving uh, he is. Proverbs 12, 23 says a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. The fool announces I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I live my life like there is no God. So buy my records, come to my movie, laugh at my jokes. I'm the fool. So the fool announces himself and he's going the wrong direction and he doesn't even know it. So what is the fool like? We could look in Proverbs and and see a lot about the fool, but I thought it'd be worth just looking at a few verses in this book. How does Solomon in Ecclesiastes define the fool? Look back at chapter 2. I'm going to read you a couple verses. These will just are more than a couple, but this will describe the fool. Verse 14, 214. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. The fool doesn't see. The fool is blind. The fool is blind to his own, her own foolishness. So the fool lacks self-awareness. The fool lacks, more importantly, God-awareness. And we get an accurate self-awareness when we have a God, accurate God-awareness. Chapter 4, verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. The folding of the hands is a, it's a picture. We could develop that out, but it's a picture of laziness. So the fool is lazy. The fool doesn't work. And the fool eats his own flesh. What is that? The fool is self-destructive. The fool destroys his life. By what he says, what he does, his laziness destroys his life. That's the fool. He's blind. He's not self-aware. He's not God-aware. He's lazy. Chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. For a dream comes from, with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. The fool's voice has many words. The fool talks a lot. The fool makes a lot of claims brags, says what he's going to do for God, but then doesn't do it for God. Actually, here is the the fool is in the house of God. In this case, when you vow a vow to God, don't delay it. So the fool has all kinds of big plans, kingdom plans, serving God plans. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But the fool doesn't do any of it. The fool talks a lot. The fool's a windbag, hot air, claiming great things, but not actually doing them. He doesn't do what he says, and he talks too much. Chapter 7, verse 9. Chapter 7. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Don't be quick. Don't be quick-tempered. Don't have a short trigger, a short fuse. Be hot-headed. Blow up at people. Give them a piece of your mind. I'm going to tell them. Uh, That's a fool. A fool has to go out and tell everybody his mind, is quick with his temper, snaps at people, yells at people, anger is in their heart and just comes out. Just that's their lifestyle. That's what a fool is like. Chapter 9, verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. What's he saying? A wise person can hear something in quiet and act and receive the wisdom. But a fool, you can have the ruler. The king can be yelling and the fool won't even hear him. Fool doesn't listen. Fool doesn't take advice. The fool knows. Don't tell the fool. The fool already knows that you know nothing. And the fool knows everything. They don't listen. They don't take advice. There's just a few pictures of what a fool is. And this person, their heart leads them astray and... Uh, This kind of behavior, activity, and heart motivation is is splattered ketchup on the white shirt of the wise, is what he's warning against in verse 1. The dead flies in the ointment. Um, Next, what he does is he speaks about fool, folly. Folly is the act of a fool. Folly in leaders. 
Because leaders can have folly. Look at verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great, lay great offenses to rest. So he starts with saying this way. Here's what foolishness is. Now, how do you respond when foolishness comes your way? What do you do when the authority is a fool? What do you do when the authority is a fool and basically your boss chews you out? He's talking about the ruler. Most of us aren't talking to kings or presidents. We don't have an opportunity to have a president angry at us. Um, But here he's saying when someone in authority would certainly be appropriate. What do you do when your boss chews you out? Even if it's unfair, even if it's wrong. When he's acting a fool and yelling at you, what do you do? Well, the fool will reply in kind. The fool will yell back. And guess what? That's dead flies in the ointment because you just lost your job. You've been an employee there and done great for years, but in a moment of hot-headedness, you could lose your job. And if it's with the king in the ancient Near East, you could lose your head, which is worse than losing your job, no matter what your job is. So this is what he's saying. Don't respond. Here's how you should respond if you've got a fool for a boss or a fool in charge, uh, a fool in leadership. Calmness will lay great offenses to rest. That is Wisdom. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft response, a humble response will turn away anger. A soft and humble response will actually lay offenses to rest. But an angry word will stir up anger. It'll pour gas on the fire. So he's showing how do we respond when someone is angry at us? 1 Peter 2, 23 says, When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You get that? Jesus entrusted himself to God, the Father, who would judge justly. That's wisdom. When someone unloads on us, the wise person says, You know what? God will sort this out. I can trust God. If I'm being falsely accused, I should be honest and set the record straight and tell what happened. If I'm being accurately accused, regardless of their attitude, I should be humble, repent, and ask forgiveness. But I should not respond in kind. I should entrust myself to the one who will sort everything out in the end. That's what Jesus did. So that is wisdom. So at times there, are, there is folly in rulers, leaders, and an angry response can be folly on our part that is flying the dead fly in the ointment. To respond in anger in response can crush a relationship. To unload in response can harm someone we love. It can tarnish a reputation. An outburst of anger, a lack of control in a certain moment, especially here he's talking about if you're talking to the ruler, in a key moment can undo a ton of wisdom in one's life. I remember growing up, I played, um, I played church basketball, uh, which is essentially the same game as basketball, but you pray ahead of time. And uh, so I played church basketball, and in this league there was, you know, I think unchurched basketball at times was uh, more, more polite and gracious. But anyway, I played church basketball in elementary school, and uh, we played in this church that was big enough to have their own gym. And I didn't witness this, but it was well known that what had happened, and I'm not going to say any more details, so I'm not passing on something that's untrue, but it was just known among everyone, so I assume it was true, that the pastor of that church was in a basketball league and uh, was super competitive and in the middle of a game punched a dude out. I mean, just got a call on him and decked a guy in a game. And uh, so that's a small thing. Well, actually, it's a big thing, but it could be a small moment. It's just a little right hook. But nobody looks, at that, nobody looks at that pastor and sees a white shirt after that. Nobody says, wow, for 20 years he preached the word of God. What they know about him is that in a moment of anger, he decked a guy on the court. And so it was difficult for some people to get beyond the white shirt, uh, get beyond the ketchup to see the white shirt. Just a, a, a few dead flies give off a stench. So, verse 1, a little folly outweighs wisdom. A little folly outweighs wisdom. It's a chapter of warning. It's a chapter 
of warning. Sometimes a a leader's folly can affect everybody. Verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking around on the ground. What's he talking about? This isn't a good thing. He's not talking about a role reversal. The rich get theirs, and those who suffer are raised up into leadership. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there was an error, verse 5, proceeding from the ruler. What happened? The er- the, the ruler did something wrong. And then, verse 6, folly is set in many places. The rich in a low place, slaves on horses, princes walking around like slaves without a horse. What's he saying? The, the leader did something wrong. He had an error. Fly in the ointment, catch up on the shirt, right hook in the basketball game, whatever. He did something. And because of that, it turned everything upside down in this culture. And so you had people who were trained in leadership. They were rich. They had means. They could use their power and their means for the good of people. But they're on the streets. And the people that are now leading, they have no experience. They're slaves. They have no experience in leading. They have no means. And so it's not good for, the, for all of the people that those who are inexperienced are now leading and those who are experienced are out and not able to leverage their influence. So it's, it's not good for everyone in that situation. He makes the same situation with the government down in verse 16. Similar point, foolish leaders. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. What's he saying here? He's saying the same thing about government. Listen, when the immature, like in a, in a monarchy that was passed on in the family, you could have a kid who's a king if the king dies at a young, at a young age and has a young prince as a son, and your princes feast in the morning and they do it to get drunk. So what he's saying is if the, the, the whole land suffers when you've got foolish leaders and they're getting drunk when they should be working. So they don't know when to feast and when to work. Verse 17, happy is the land when the princes feast at the proper time. It's wisdom to know when to feast and when to work. And when the leaders don't know the difference between what's party time and getting drunk at 9 a.m., uh, th- that's not the right time. Getting drunk never. is n- It's never the right time to get drunk. But it's not the time to party at 9 a.m. It's time to work. And so what happens to everybody in the country? Look at verse 18. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. It's a picture. When, when you don't work when you're supposed to work, and you're not responsible, and you don't take care of your roof over the years, they would have flat roofs that would have to be re- recovered at various times. Then what happens is the roof starts leaking, and everybody's getting wet in the house. Why? Because those in leadership should have been working, and they were partying. They didn't know when to feast and when not to feast. So the big point here is that for anyone in leadership, that wisdom affects everybody under that person's leadership, and foolishness affects everybody under that person's leadership. We have a culture where everything's crazy. We've got the wrong people leading because of the error of the leader. Over here, we've got the people who are in charge are acting like fools, and it's affecting everyone. The, the land is not happy. The roof is leaking. The people are hurting. And so it is with leadership in life. A lot of leaders in the room. Every husband in the room is a leader. Every mom in the room is a leader. Women are leaders in different kinds of contexts. You have leadership responsibilities. Some young people are leaders in the room. Some of you are leaders in your jobs, leaders in your company, leaders in the church here, leaders in various civic or neighborhood organizations. And so the reality is, for the leader, what we do affects other people, and a moment of folly can have a tremendous effect on those who are led by the leader. So the folly of leadership. Next, he talks about folly in daily life, verses 8 and 9. He, he says, he who digs a pit falls into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. What is this talking about? I mean, in the middle, we're talking about quarrying stones. You could get hurt. You could hurt, get hurt. I mean, it's like, is this the, the Bible's version of OSHA to making sure there's worker safety and nobody's getting hurt? Is that, that, no, that's not what's going on. 
What's the whole point? The whole point is be careful because a little action can bring great harm. A little bit of folly can bring a lot of harm to wisdom. And so what he says is, look, you can be a hunter, dig a pit to catch an animal, cover it with brush, cover it with leaves so that it's camouflaged. And if you're not paying attention, you can step into it. Just a little step and you're, you're trapped. Or the second one, he says, you could be breaking through a wall. If you're just kind of taking a wall apart and you're pulling some stone from a wall, a serpent may bite him who breaks the wall. So if you're not paying attention in a moment, you're not being careful, you could get snake bit. Or the person who quarries rocks could get hurt. So you're pulling rocks or you're, you know, you're chiseling rocks out and you're not paying attention. The rocks above them fall down on you because you weren't paying attention. You weren't being careful. Or you are splitting logs and somehow you get injured. So the point is still a small thing can have a big effect. A little folly can outweigh a lot of wisdom. Use wisdom. He's not just talking about be careful on the job. I mean, that's nice, polite advice, but that's, he's tying it to something bigger. This little thing, all I was doing was moving a rock until a poisonous snake bit me. That's, that's all. all I was doing was building a trap to catch an animal. That, that was it. And I just looked away for a minute, just a minute, and I fell into the trap. It's a small thing. This is a word to young people. My kids probably are very tired of me saying it, but whenever they go out, I frequently tell them, as you're going, use wisdom. When they're going out with their friends, use wisdom. And these are wise, their friends are generally wise people. But use wisdom. Why? Well, because when a few people get together, even if they got white shirts on, uh, if they're teenagers and college students, I guarantee you somebody's got some ketchup in the room. Guarantee you. And that's true of us, too. I'm not just picking on young people. But young people tend to be more invincible and nothing's going to happen to me. And, oh, it's just a small thing. It's just a little thing. Oh, it's just one little bad decision. And the Bible's saying, be, be careful about one little bad decision. You're behind the wheel of a car. You're on the Internet. You're making little decisions that can have big effects. That's the whole, it's just a fly. It's not going to really affect the perfume. It's just one step. So he's saying, be careful, practice wisdom. Verses 10 and 11, he's talking about using, making wise decisions and not folly, but wise decisions. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. What's he saying? If you've got an ax and you are, uh, you are chopping something, if you don't sharpen it, you're going to have to use a lot of brute strength to work through. But if you will be smart and take your time and prepare, if you'll take your time and sharpen the blade, then you'll cut through the wood very quickly. That's wisdom. So prepare. What does he say next? He, uh, if a serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. He's saying the exact opposite. So he's saying, don't wait. Don't waste any time. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, if you're a snake charmer, I don't really know how you do snake charming, but we'll say this. If you're a snake charmer, you better, when the snake gets out of the bag, you better start doing that twirly thing. Because if you don't, if you just pull the snake out, you go, man, I got plenty of time here and I'm just kind of talking around here, but you got bit because you didn't do your job. You, if you don't charm the snake, you'll get bitten. So which is it? It's both. Wisdom knows when to be slow, when to prepare, when to sharpen the blade, when I've got it. It'll be better to do this, and then I'll get the work done quickly and efficiently. And then there's other times where you better not be sitting around. Just get to work, or you're going to get bit. A wise person knows the difference, knows when to prepare and when to go slow and when to act fast. The fool does not know that. And so the fool can get snake bit, or the fool can just be dumb and work super hard because he has a dull blade and a dull mind to go along with his dull blade, I suppose. So you can work super hard. And when you do that, and you are foolish in those ways, it can have some damaging effects. So to go slow when you should be going fast on a decision, and to go fast when you should be going slow can have effects. Next, he talks about wise words, and we'll finish it up here. Wise words. Wisdom is known by its speech. This is the area where folly has gotten me into the most trouble in my life is through my words. Through my words at various times saying things I regret. And I have spoken dead fly words that stink up the perfume. And I have spoken words and it's just like taking the ketchup bottle and just squirting it on myself at various times. Verse 12 
The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. So the person who uses wise words, there's blessing attached to that. The word favor can mean gracious. So it may be the wise person uses gracious words with others, but the fool consumes himself. The fool is self-destructive. He says things that ultimately destroy himself. He posts things on social media that just destroy himself. They just destroy his witness. He, He does things on the job that just, they just ruin his career. Because he's acting selfishly and independently as if God doesn't exist. And so the fool, what he says, it eats him up. It destroys him. Verse 13, the beginning of of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end is like evil madness. So he speaks and is foolish, and by the time he's done talking, it's, it's like, that's craziness. Verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. So the fool makes boasts about what's going to happen. The fool talks about the future. The fool spouts off about this is going to happen and that's going to happen. The fool gets a talk radio show because people like to listen to fools. And so he just spouts off about this and that and what's going to happen. And and only God knows what's going to happen. And that's been the whole point of Ecclesiastes. You don't know why certain things happen. Only God knows. So only only the fool's going to be out blabbing about, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And this is what that person's going to do. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him. All of this talk And a fool's life just wears him down, for he does not even know the way to the city. What does that mean? He doesn't know the way to the city. It's like a saying, he's dumb as a rock. It's kind of like something like that. He's just, he's witless. That is the fool. Lastly, the fool speaks words that not only destroy himself, and there's too many of them, but it gets him in trouble. Fools always speak against authority. You see this all over the Bible. Verse 20 Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Is Ecclesiastes believing that birds uh, talk? No, it's not what he's saying. It's, It's a figure of speech. We have that, right? A little bird told me. I don't know if that's where it came from, but we say that. So he's saying, if you curse the rich, those who are in power, if you curse the king, even in private, it's going to get to him. The person who promises, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody, you can tell me, they're going to tell somebody. That's just a given. And so when you use your words, even in private, you will be found out, is what he's saying, and it'll cost you. And those one little words, while I was just saying this about the king, well, there's significant consequences for those little words. So let's tie it up. A little folly can ruin a lot of wisdom. So be careful how you respond to someone who's angry. Don't respond in kind. Be careful with your influence as a leader. Be careful because what we do affects a lot of people. And we can, we can pour ketchup on our shirt and, and, influ- and, and hinder our reputation or our, uh, the equity we, equity we have to serve other people, care for them. We can squander their trust. All of us can as leaders. Careful what you do. Be careful if you're digging a pit. Be careful. Be careful if you're quarrying rocks. That's the regular stuff of life. So just be careful in your daily life. Careful how you proceed. Sharpen your axe. But don't wait too long. The snake will bite you. Careful what you say. Fools destroy themselves. They blab about what will happen and they don't even know. Careful about what you say about authority because they will find out. Wisdom is prudent. And folly is reckless. A little folly can damage a lot of wisdom. But here's the thing about wisdom. Real wisdom, the wise person knows this. The wise person knows that we are all vulnerable to folly. The fool thinks they are bulletproof. The wise person knows that he or she is vulnerable, and so they put their trust in Christ alone who is wise. Put our trust in Christ alone who is wise. This this is a passage about humility. The wise person knows that I can act in a way that will hinder others, that will hinder myself as well, that will hinder the glory of God. So the wise person walks in humility, acknowledging their faults. The wise person walks in humility, aware 
of their weaknesses. The wise person walks in humility, careful with their speech, and seeking to get help in all of these areas of life. The wise person realizes that Christ has come to save fools and to redeem fools and to transform fools. And he has come to actually be our very wisdom in itself. So the wise person looks to Christ alone. Listen to this passage. 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to read you several verses here. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. As we went through this chapter, did you not feel, wow, I do that stuff. I act like a fool. In my life, I act like a fool for sure. Listen to this promise from God. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The good news is that God has chosen the foolish, Christ has become our wisdom, and he is making us like himself, and so our boast is in him. There is very little danger in these areas for the person who is walking humbly and boasting in the Lord. Their eyes are fixed on the Lord. That is good news. He redeems fools. Listen, if you have acted foolishly, maybe today you are paying the, the consequences in your life are for some foolish actions. Some of us are. Some of us have done some of the things I've said where your, your life veered off course because of a foolish action. And maybe there's some circumstances that you're still dealing with and, and you know, there's no promise that our circumstances change necessarily. But God does resent, redeem those situations. God does redeem foolish choices. Yes, it's true that a little folly can damage a lot of wisdom But a little grace can overcome all of that. There's a lot of Jesus for anybody who wants to look and trust in him. And so our boast must be in him. He has become our sanctification. He is our redemption. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. A little folly can do damage, but a little grace can overcome all of that and make us right with God and make us right with others as well. The grace of God. Grace means that God gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And that doesn't mean that grace doesn't mean that I just forget about chapter 10 and do whatever I want because if I fall in a pit, he'll pull me out. If the ointment stinks, he'll make it smell good. No, that, that, that isn't grace. That, that's an abuse of grace. Grace says, Lord, I want to obey your word. I want to walk before you in a way that is gracious, but that is righteous. But I know that I have an fresh start every morning. His mercies are new every morning. You cannot do anything that is beyond his forgiveness. You cannot say anything that is beyond his forgiveness. And that's not a license to say whatever we want. It's just a reality that should motivate us. Lord, I want to honor a God who would treat me that way. Any God who would be that gracious to wipe out all my foolishness, to be my wisdom, to forgive me, to give me new life, to stick with me, to be faithful to me, to give me a new start every morning. And that's the church as well, because in the church, we treat one another this way as well. We recognize there's foolishness in all of our hearts. And so we as well extend grace, knowing that, hey, that one from one fool to another, let's look to Christ. Let's look to Jesus. He is the one who saves us and makes us wise like him. And that's the second point. He changes fools. He redeems fools. He changes fools. The wisest thing we can do is boast in Christ. See, I don't think we should read chapter 10 and say, be careful. So now what I need to do is walk carefully. So I'm just going to keep my my eye on my feet. Every step, I'm just going to be watching. Careful, careful. Don't step in a pit. Uh, don't let a dead fly. Don't, don't say be careful everywhere. Like you live in some kind of, you know, overwhelming sense of, uh, crazy introspection and care. That's not, that's not what we're to do. Actually, I don't think we're to look at our feet at all. I think what we're supposed to be doing is looking at Christ. 
And when you look at Christ, our, our walk will avoid these kinds of things. And when we do fall, he will help us. He'll pull us up. He will redeem us. He will secure us. He will change us. He will help us. We want to be careful, but we do that by looking at Jesus and boasting that my confidence is in him to guide me. My confidence is in his spirit to give me self-control. And my confidence is in the Lord to hold me, guard me, redeem me. We are to look for Jesus for help. The wisest people are the people who realize they're vulnerable, who realize they're not really wise apart from the wisdom we have is right here. So the wise person is one who knows all my wisdom is, is a gift outside of me. It's God who opened my eyes to the scripture. It's God who gave me a heart for the Savior. It's God who gave me new life. And it's Jesus who is my everything. The wise person realizes their vulnerability. The wise person realizes their, their lack. The wise person realizes that Jesus is the Savior. And so we don't live in a fear of spilling ketchup. We enjoy the meal. We enjoy our life. We look at Christ. We trust him. We do life with those around us who can help us if we are exhibiting these things. Those around us who can help us with our blind spots, with our speech and with our actions. And when we've got one foot in the pit, someone say, hey, you know, I'd be careful there. We all need that. God works in us and helps us through then. So we can grab our Bible. We can look to Jesus. We can get some help. We can receive forgiveness where we've blown it. We get a fresh start today and another fresh start tomorrow. And we live in the fear of the Lord, saying, I'm vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. And so just as when we're talking about sin, there's places I shouldn't go. There's things I shouldn't look at. There might even be people I shouldn't engage with at this point in my life, maybe for some of us. There's certain things I should avoid because of the temptation that pulls my heart certain things that maybe I shouldn't watch, certain things that pull me. So there's certain things I should avoid. That, that's, that's wisdom, and the same is true with foolishness. Certain, there may be certain things where I need to exhibit care, but my eyes must not be on me. My eyes must be on Christ, and my confidence must be in Him and not my ability to guard myself. God is faithful. God is our wise one. God loves, cares for, and redeems fools. And that's good news for all of us. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.